The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Start! You can call me Bruce. Bruce Nolan is standing by. Hey, wacky Bruce! Coming to you from an undisclosed location, this is the Bruce Exclusive. And here's your host, Bruce Nolan. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to another edition of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. You know, it wouldn't be the dog days of summer without some very strange thought experiment that Bruce drops on you. And this is something that's been kind of mulling around in my subconscious for a while. And I wanted to find a good way to put it on paper. And in addition to that, I wanted to get somebody in here who I could talk to that would help me illustrate this thought experiment and how it could vary so differently from person to person. Let me explain for you the thought experiment, and then I'm going to introduce to you the gentleman who's going to be embarking on this voyage with me. There are lots of factors that go into winning and losing a football game. When I was discussing whether or not wins were a quarterback stat, I was attempting to start this train rolling by saying, you know what? At the most generous, quarterbacks have a 38% chance of affecting the outcome of a game. They have 38% weight out of 100. And that kind of got the ball rolling about a year ago for me. And I thought, I wonder if I could break down the pie graph of all of the different things that go into winning a football game and how important each of those things is. I wonder if there'd be any value in that. And then as I started to break down my own graph, I reached out to an individual who I asked to break down their own graph themselves. And that's Jay Spence the King. You know him from the Code of Conduct podcast. You know him from the Hump Day Hotline on the Buffalo Rumblings YouTube show. He decided to join me on this journey to embark on this quest to complete his own individual pie graph and for us to have a little bit of discussion about it. Jay Spence, thanks so much for being here, man. 
Bruce, thank you so much for inviting me. You know, I always look at this as a as a pleasure because, you know, you know how I feel about you, man. Thank you so much. Well, I appreciate you being here. And one of the reasons I want to have you specifically on is because you and I are very different people. When it comes to football philosophy, we're very different. And really, that's what this thought experiment is about. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a pie graph that totals up to 100%. And we are going to take 13 different individual aspects of playing football, of the things that cause you to win or lose a game. And we are going to assign each one of them a value. And the total sum of all those values needs to add up to 100%. And the way this thought experiment is kind of framed is you are a president of a football team. You are interviewing with the owner and the owner wants to tell you kind of their thoughts on how to build a football team because they're a middling owner. But then they flip the question on you and they say, Mr. Spence, Mr. Nolan, tell me what you think is the most important thing about winning a football game. And you might say head coaching, or you might say quarterback play, or you might say defensive game planning or whatever it is you say. And then he just keeps asking you these things. And before too long, you realize you've prioritized all of these things, 13 individual things you have prioritized. That's the thought experiment. No players, no coaches, you are building from the ground up and you get to explain to the owner what you think an ideal football team looks like in regards to weighting the things that have an effect on winning. This is a difficult thought experiment. As you go through it, you start to question a little bit of your previous existing biases. You start to think about and go, oh, goodness gracious, do I really have pass blocking at 5%? That feels too low. But then you look around and go, uh, where am I going to take a point from? And that's why this is so important. Prioritization doesn't matter if resources aren't limited. This is important in all aspects of decision making. Prioritization doesn't matter if resources aren't limited. If you have unlimited money, does it really matter what you spend it on? Do you, are you forced to make priorities? No. At that point, your priority comes down to time. Why? Because time is your limited resource at that point. Limited resources expose priorities. And because of that, this particular, this particular thought experiment is more valuable than just ranking them because you have to assign a number value and they have to add up to hundred, but you can't go over that. So if you want a point that you need to add to special teams, you got to take it from somewhere else. And that's why this is valuable. I want to encourage you to write down or go to my Twitter at Bruce Exclusive and get the 13 items and do this thought experiment yourself because it's valuable. And the reason why it matters is because it exposes our pre-existing biases. It exposes our football philosophies. You might think going into the exercise that you really value running the ball. And then you come out and you're like, oh, maybe I don't. This is a self-awareness exercise. It was valuable for me. I think Spence will tell you it was valuable for him. And I think it'll be valuable for you. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to have Spence break down his pie. Then I'm going to ask him some questions about his pie. Hey, why did you do this? 
Why'd you put this over this? Why so little on this? Why so much on this? Tell me what your thoughts were. And then he's going to do his pie. And then after he's done, we're going to take a break. We're going to come back. And then I'm going to do my pie as far as the things that I think influence winning in the NFL. Some more than others. What you will find is that you are not going to have 7.6% on 13 different ones. That's not going to happen. Everyone wants to do that. They want to take the easy way out. They want to say, oh, it's a team game, Bruce. Everything's equal. No, it's not. No, it's not. If it was all equal, long snappers would be paid the same as quarterbacks. But they're not. Because teams value them differently. And you value them differently too. But you don't have a salary cap. You have a pie cap instead. And so because of that, you have to allocate resources to each of these individual things based on how you think it factors into winning and losing a football game. So Spence, I would be very interested in you taking us through these 13 things. And these, ladies and gentlemen listening, are the 13 items that Spence is going to assign a weight to, each of which will add to 100. Quarterback play, offensive coaching, pass blocking, head coaching, receiving, coverage, defensive coaching, pass rushing, organizational culture, special teams, run blocking, run stopping, and ball carrying. These are the 13 items that we are going to put on this pie. And in doing so, we're going to expose a little bit about ourselves. This is the Rorschach test of football philosophy. For those unfamiliar, a Rorschach test is an inkblot test that was done in certain aspects of psychology where you would look at a specific picture and the thing that you saw would tell us something about the way you viewed the world. Now, this is the Rorschach test of football philosophy. So Spence, take us through your pie. Well, so my pie is, I'm sure it's going to be different than everyone. That's the point of this exercise. But I was excited to do this because as you know, you and I took part of another exercise with Joe Marino a few weeks back where we pretty much were looking at the players on the Buffalo Bills and we were looking at who's performance or whose ceiling would be most important to the team's success from our point of view for the future. And I kind of got some flack for that, some, you know, a lot of flack actually, because I didn't have Josh Allen on my top 10 list and I didn't have all the same type of players that everybody else thought that I should have. And it's because we value things differently. So I'm going to start off with first, just how I kind of came to the conclusion, because this actually was a little bit difficult for me at first. Um, because, you know, at, at first thought, you think, oh, yeah, of course, you know, quarter packs, 25 percent. Then we're going to throw the coach in there, at you know, but then once you really start to break down the numbers, you you run out, <laughs> you run out very quickly of your pie cap, as you as you so eloquently put it earlier. So what I did was I actually split it into two categories. So first I, I put it on coaching and culture or orga organization, and then I put it on player and skill or performance. So I separated those two things. And then I had to look at those two things alone and say, okay, how do I value the organization? And then how do I value the on-field product? And where I kind of, you know, the conclusion that I came to is that obviously the on-field product is more important overall, because you have to actually play the game. You have to win the game. So 
I have my player skill and performance at 58% of my pie. And then I have the coaching and culture at 42% of the pie. So when we break that down, so I believe you wanted me to go from smallest to largest. So I'm going to start with the player skill and performance side of the pie. Okay. So the 58%, the side with the player skill and performance, I'm going to start off with special teams. Um, but I'm going to, I'm going to read from the bottom to the top for you. So out of this 58% on the pie chart, I have special teams coming in at 4%. I have coverage, so pass coverage coming in at 7%. I have pass rush coming in at 7%. I have run stop coming in at 6%. Receiver play, 7%. Run block and pass block are equal at 5%. And then I have the running back valued at the same as the receiver at 7%. And I have the quarterback valued the greatest out of this pie chart at 10%. Now, this is this was a struggle for me when I looked at this chart because the experiment that we did or the exercise we did a couple of weeks ago, I did not list Josh Allen on the list because I felt that the team needed a running game. I felt that the team needed defense. I felt that the team needed to replace Andre Roberts. Everybody knows how much I love Andre Roberts. But in reality, the quarterback should be the coach on the field. I view coaching as the most important aspect of the team in general. I'm going to get to that side of the chart in a moment, but I believe that you absolutely need to have somebody on the field on your offense that is an extension of the coaching staff. And also they obviously have to play well in, in today's league. It is not 1995. It's not even 2000 in a way, you know, the running game is still very important, but it is not the focal point of your offense any longer. Now, if your quarterback can't throw for 300 yards a few times during the season, your team is pretty much looked at as, you know, you know, it's, it's looked at as a, as an offense that is basically anorexic in a way, the way the bills looked a few years back prior to Josh Allen coming, or actually his rookie season, I believe we were on track to have the worst offense in NFL history for the first few weeks of that season. That is what you do not want. So it is important that the quarterback has the ability to throw the ball, which is why the receivers come in at 7%. You need good receivers and running backs. So those positions, your, you know, your quarterback has to have guys who can actually do something with the ball once they, once he gets it to them. So, I think that is absolutely it. I think that's where it should be. Quarterback, running back, and receivers on offense should be valued the most. Pass blocking and run blocking. I'm going to make my offensive lineman upset about this, but I do believe you have to have good guys to block your quarterback. You want to protect your quarterback. You want to protect your running back. But I also look at it as I watched Josh Allen last season with a right side that wasn't strong for part of the season. I watched him do things with Cody Ford that wasn't always fun. I watched things with other quarterbacks. Aaron Rodgers hasn't always had an absolute great offensive line, but as long as your quarterback is able to do things, maneuver around the pocket, have some escapability, you know, you have some, some skill position players who can really do some things with the football. I think your offense can still move. And even if, if the escapability isn't even there, if you look at Tom Brady from last year and, and years past, you know, if you have a, a the type of game where you can make short passes and you can do things on offense that has your offense moving without putting stress on the offensive line to actually have to block, then, you know, you're doing something. So that's how I, I go there on that side of the, the pie chart. When I'm going back on the other side of coaching and culture, the absolute lowest it, it, 
actually organizational culture. I, now, but the thing is, I value organizational culture higher than I value anything on offense other than or anything on the performance side of it. Anything on the player skill and performance side, I value organizational culture more than anything except the quarterback. It's coming in at 8% as well as offensive coaching because I believe you absolutely do need a strong culture to win. I've seen teams, we've we've seen Buffalo Bills rosters that have had absolutely stacked teams on offense and defense where you've had the second best defense in the league. You've had the fourth ranked overall defense in the league. We've had offenses that have had at one time Terrell Owens and uh, Stevie, you know, like we, we just have talented teams. We've had talented rosters, but the culture wasn't built for winning. You look at teams elsewhere, you know, in history, you look at the Detroit Lions and you see somebody like Megatron, a stud in every way imaginable. He didn't even want to continue his career there because of the culture. So I, I believe culture is absolutely important. And that's why it's coming in over everything as far as the player skill and performance, except for the quarterback. Offensive coaching, I have there as well, because I believe the quarterback in that sense should elevate the game plan. So if you have a decent to very good offensive coordinator and your quarterback can absolutely just go out there and perform, I think he makes your offensive coordinator look a little bit better. Looking at Brian Dayball in years past, prior to him going to college, I know, you know, he was in Cleveland and he was elsewhere. And a lot of times people talk about the performance of his offenses and where they ranked. And you look at the quarterbacks from where they were and he didn't have solid quarterback play. So you look at those offenses and they didn't look good. They didn't look like they were going to be anything or they should be anything because you didn't have both the coaching and the player. So I think the offensive coaching is important, but I think the quarterback helps that. Now, 10%, I'm matching the defensive coaching with my quarterback. I'm matching my defense with my quarterback because I feel just as much as I think the offense has to revolve around your quarterback and your quarterback has to be that coach, I think the defense has to control the game for our team. If we can't stop the other team's offense from scoring, it doesn't matter what our quarterback does. I always, uh, in, in, in the exercise we did a couple of weeks ago, I made the argument that, well, you know, Peyton Manning was in Indiana for all of those years and he was almost widely considered the best second or third best quarterback in the league at the time. And he has one Super Bowl to show for it in Indianapolis. He has one Super Bowl to show for it in Denver, but that was because it wasn't it was more, it was about more than just Peyton at those times. He had defenses to go along with him. Aaron Rodgers has one Super Bowl in Green Bay. That was the year he also had a defense and a stacked offense. So, I just think you need a a, a full team to to do this. Defense absolutely is as, as important as a co- as a quarterback to me. And then the most important part of this whole piece for me is the head coach. Head coach is coming in at 16% because I believe the head coach, you know, he, he's the, he's the pe- he's the biggest piece to every puzzle <laughs> and he's the biggest piece to the puzzle on defense, offense, special teams. It comes down to the head coach. The head coach controls the culture. The head coach controls who's on the field. The head coach controls the defensive philosophy and the offensive philosophy. They hire the coordinator. They hire the, the guys to come in and, and, and work with these players to help them develop. So, this was very difficult, but this was fun. And Bruce, I'm going to tell you, man, I have to start, you know, I have to really start thinking this way um, 
going into pods and going into the season because it, it actually helps me look at the team differently as well. Because, you know, like I said, a couple of weeks ago, I'm sitting here saying, no, I think defense. And I, I mentioned Tremaine Edmonds and I mentioned, you know, we have to replace Andre Roberts. And I still feel that way in my heart. But when I'm looking at the team, the question, like you mentioned earlier, I don't I don't have cap space, but the team does. So do we value Andre Roberts? Do we keep Andre Roberts and say, you know what, let's not worry about, you know, A, B, C and D or is special teams really four percent, three percent, two percent? Or do we really value John Brown and keep him at that eight million dollar contract for the year? Or do we cut him and then bring in Emmanuel Sanders for a couple million cheaper? All of these things matter. And it it really absolutely introduced a completely different way of thinking for me. So thank you for, for inviting me to do this. Oh, thanks for doing it. Thanks for being a part of it. As I look over your list, I think that there's a couple of things that really stick out to me. The first one is if you go down to the section where you have player skill and performance, which totals 58%, everything is within a couple percentage points of each other from running back all the way to coverage. There's really only two outliers, one high being quarterback and one low being special teams. So everything is five, six or 7%. No significant swings, not two to nine, not two to 10. It's really pretty much all there aside from special teams and quarterbacks. So how do you, how do you thread the needle when you're talking about positional value for things like centers versus left tackles versus defensive tackles versus linebackers? Like, how do you thread the needle on positional value when the things that those positions do are so close in your mind? Like, they're they're right there. I mean, you have pass blocking and run blocking exactly tied. You have receivers and pass rushers exactly tied. You have coverage and pass rush just tied. So how do you, like, how do you split a hair there? Like, how do you, what's the tiebreaker there? If you can only pay a pass rusher, or a coverage guy, and you're trying to just thread the needle on positional value alone. Let's leave, let's leave aside the, you know, leave aside the talent of the player and their success and market factors and things like that. When you're trying to thread the needle, when it comes to positional value, how do you do it when they're that close? I look at history and, and one of the main arguments that I made when everybody was killing me for not having Josh Allen on my top 10 list for important players for the success of the future of the bills. I look at history and and in history, you and I had this discussion. I think we're going to have a pod coming up on this soon for on the code of conduct, but talking about how important it is to, to win Super Bowls. Like in history, I've looked at every team that's won and the team that has a better defense typically has won more than the team that hasn't. And those same teams typically have better defenses than they have offenses. So there's a correlation in my opinion, and, and I'll do more research when we get to that show. So that way I can, I can go toe to toe with you, but look, I just, I really do value defense a little bit more than offense. I think the quarterback is the most important person on offense, but I think overall the defense needs to be well balanced everywhere because you have to stop the other team on, on our side. I think our receivers and our running backs have to be a little bit better than the other team's defenders, but I don't, I, I, and maybe I'm wrong with this. And and that's why these conversations are great. But other than like the left tackle in the center, I don't particularly put a ton. Like I put value on the offensive line because they have to protect, 
But I think the most important positions on those lines are the left tackle and the center. And so for me, if we were to break this down further, so if we were to do like a pie chart just for the offensive line, then yeah, it's, it's left tackle and, and, and center for sure. Or if we're doing just defensive players or if we're doing the secondary, then I'm going cornerbacks before I go safeties or I'm paying, you know, I'm, there's certain positions that I do think are more important, but because we were doing this more so from a, I guess like a, a blanketed, you know, point of view, I didn't break it down that deep, but, but yeah, absolutely. I, I, um, it's tough to, it's tough to nitpick, but I think defense, that's why you, when you look at those numbers on average, defense is a little bit higher than the offensive uh, players. Another pie chart Spence. Don't tempt me with a good time. (laughs) I am all in. I'm all interested in a pie chart. Anyone who's listened to Bruce exclusive at any point over the course of the regular season would know that I love plurality pie. It's delicious. It goes down easy. It's, it's easy to make. You can just whip one up real quick in about 20 minutes on a podcast. So here's another thing that sticks out to me when I look at this. So if quarterbacks 10% and running back 7%, would you then view, because that's where you view the, the pie as far as importance to winning. However, quarterback contracts are way bigger than 50 so percent bigger than running back contracts. Do you think that makes running backs, are, it would be your opinion that running back contracts are actually a really, really, really good value then? Are you I okay do. paying running backs what the market rate is right now, which is between 12 and $15 million a year, just because it's so much less than the 45 you're going to pay to a quarterback. Well, to be honest, um, I'm, I'm starting to, and I, I listen to too much Bruce exclusive. And I also listen to um, Greg Thompson over at cover one. And the, the thing is I'm starting to get to the place where I don't believe we should, or anybody should like resign running backs or pay running backs. Those, those great free agent deals. I think there's enough talent every single year to draft somebody in the third round, the fourth round. You know, if you, if there's somebody that you really absolutely want, normally you can get them in the second round. So I, I'm just seeing every single year is, it seems to be a revolving door on running backs actually being great. So I don't, I don't necessarily think the contract situation, I wouldn't pay running backs more. Sorry, shady. Sorry, all my other guys I love, but I just really think that, that the way we're seeing it now, you know, you're getting these guys, look at J.K. Dobbins last year. Look at, you know, and I understand that the, the type of offense he was in was geared towards running backs as Greg Roman has, you know, he, he made Buffalo Bills have one of the best running attacks in the league when he was here. But yeah, no, I just wouldn't, I wouldn't pay those contracts. Okay. We are going to take a quick break. We are going to come back. We're going to dish up another serving of pie, but this one's going to be Bruce flavored. Stick with me. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, and thank you for joining me for this edition of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. We have been talking about pie. I love pie. I've mentioned on Twitter multiple times that I am team pie over team cake. So if that matters to you at all, I'm team pie. By the way, cheesecakes are tarts, so they don't count. So you can't use that as far as cake. So you just just go ahead and push that under the rug. You cannot use that in the pie versus cake war. But I'm a pie guy, and I love pie. And one of the reasons I like doing pie graphs is because it forces you to operate with limited resources. So what we've been talking about is the pie of winning, winning flavored pie. And what that made is, is made up of is 13 different individual slices. And we're going to carve out a slice 
for each of the 13 factors that we believe goes into winning and losing games. As a refresher, the 13 pieces are quarterback play, offensive coaching, pass blocking, head coaching, receiving, coverage, defensive coaching, pass rushing, organizational culture, special teams, run blocking, run stopping, and ball carrying. Now, Spence has outlined his pie, Spence's pie of winning, and he approached it from a specific way. He broke it first into coaching and culture and player skill and performance. 42% for coaching and culture, 58% for player skill and performance, and then he went from there. I did mine a little differently, as you probably can imagine, and you, when you do yours, you will do it a little differently. I started off with basic principles that I believe to be true based on something being more important than something else. So there are three principles that helped guide me through this process. The first one is that offense is more correlative to winning than defense. So let's take the last 10 Super Bowl winners. The last 10 Super Bowl winners had an average of 8.4 on their offensive rank for DVOA. The average of the last 10 Super Bowl winners when it came to defense was 11.4. You might say to yourself, Bruce, that's fairly close. Why did you use 10? I use 10 because there are different eras of football. That's why. Because if you take these exact same stats from 40 years ago, they're going to look completely different because the eras of football are different. So I took the last decade. Nice round number. Well, Bruce, those are still pretty close. Okay, that's fine. What we're going to do now is we're going to take out the highest and lowest. As anyone who's done any particular media and mathematical studies would tell you, removing the highest and the lowest variable has a tendency to make it a little bit more accurate. You're eliminating outliers. When you do that, it actually goes further in this direction. If you take out the highest and the lowest, you end up with a 6.6 average offensive DVOA of the last 10 Super Bowl winners and a 10.2 average D DVOA for the last 10 Super Bowl winners. So what this tells you is having a bad defense is bad and having a bad offense is bad. Offense correlates more, correlates more closely with Super Bowl winners over the last 10 years than defense does, and that there are outliers, but those outliers are for defense, not offense. Specifically, the Peyton Manning Broncos are an example of an outlier that pulled this way down because that was not a good offense, all things considered. So the first principle is offense correlates more importantly with winning, more closely with winning than defense does. The second principle is passing is more important than running. So let's go through the top 10 offenses last year in terms of DVOA. Green Bay, Kansas City, Tampa Bay, Tennessee, Buffalo, Seattle, New Orleans, Minnesota, Cleveland, and the Rams. And let's go through their pass DVOA and their run DVOA. So again, reminder, first place was Green Bay. They were number one in pass DVOA and fifth in rushing. Kansas City was two in pass DVOA and 13th in rushing. Tampa Bay was fifth in pass DVOA and 10th in rushing. Tennessee was fourth in passing DVOA and second in rushing. Buffalo was third in pass DVOA and 22nd in rushing. Seattle was sixth in pass DVOA and ninth in rushing. New Orleans was 12th in pass DVOA and first in rushing. 
Minnesota was 11th in pass DVOA and 6th in rushing DVOA. Cleveland was 10th in pass DVOA and 7th in rushing DVOA. And the Rams were 19th in pass DVOA and 4th in rush DVOA, which means the average ranking of the top 10 offensive DVOAs in terms of pass was 7.3 and the rushing was 7.9. So again, passing correlated more significantly with being a top 10 offense than rushing did. Well, Bruce, that's pretty close. Okay, let's do it again. Let's remove both the highest and the lowest outlier. In that case, it goes the average for the pass DVOA of the top 10 DVOAs is 5.88. And the average rush DVOA of the top 10 offensive DVOAs is 6.33. Again, it still correlates more significantly, passing the ball does, with being a good offense than running the ball does. The third thing that I utilized, so first, offense more important than defense to correlate to winning. Second thing is passing is more important than running. And the third thing is coverage is more important than pass rush. Now, I'm not going to go through coverage being more important than pass rush because I've done an entire pod on this. You can go back to last summer and it's the pod is literally called coverage is more important than pass rush. And I can outline all of my thoughts on that because that's an entire pod by itself. I know because I did an entire pod on it. So those three principles helped guide me as I was creating my pie, which was delicious. And this is the way the pie shook out. Quarterback play, 30%. Yes, seems a little high, but I already did a podcast where I outlined the reason why wins aren't a quarterback stat. One of the things that this exercise will do for a lot of people is it will push a lot of people over into, wow, maybe wins aren't a quarterback stat. When you have to assign 13 individual variables that go into winning and losing a game, and you realize how complicated football actually is, and then realize how incredibly asinine it is that we would assign a win or a loss, 100% of this pie chart, we're going to assign to a quarterback who I just fairly generously gave them 30%. And on the pie, on the, the podcast that I did, where I was talking about specifically wins not being quarterback stat, I said the most generous I could possibly be was about 38% average. Obviously, games are going to swing it up or down based on pass attempts and things like that. But that was me at my most generous. This is me at my not my most generous. Quarterback play, 30%. Offensive coaching, 11%. Pass blocking, 9%. Head coaching, 9%. Receiving. 8%, coverage, 8%, defensive coaching, 6%, pass rushing, 5%, organizational culture, 5%, special teams, 3%, run blocking, run stopping, and ball carrying, all 2%. So let's talk about some of the things that kind of came out of this exercise for me. The first one was offensive coaching over head coaching. That might seem strange because the head coach hires the play caller, but on the actual game day themselves, the play caller, in my opinion, is more important than the head coach on the actual game day themselves. The head coach calls timeouts. They challenge plays. They're obviously involved, but if the head coaching job 
is not the play calling job, which in this case, they're two distinct entities. If the head coach is the play caller, those are two distinct job functions. They just happen to be doing both. Which of the job functions? It's which one of these functions is most important? Not necessarily people. This is functions. So for me, offensive coaching and play calling, we've seen this diminish a good quarterback. We've seen it lessen good quarterback play. Look at the difference between Baker Mayfield year two and Baker Mayfield year three and realize that a lot of it was due to offensive coaching. Now, in his case, he was being drugged down by both offensive coaching and head coaching because Freddie Kitchens was kind of a disaster. So quarterback play was 30%, but offensive coaching and head coaching combined are 20%, and that was dragging it down. The other thing that I think is interesting here is I did end up with pass blocking having a little bit more. Pass blocking 9%, receiving 8%. And I think that as you get into an area of football eras where people are starting to hold the ball for longer and longer, and these quarterbacks who are hopefully being able to make plays off schedule, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, when you have players like this, I think pass blocking becomes more important because it can help break down really good coverages and really complex defensive schemes. So pass blocking got a smidge of an edge over receiving. Unsurprisingly, coverage at 8% got a bigger jump over pass rushing, which is 5%. But those of you who have been listening to this pod should not be shocked by this. Defensive coaching came above pass rushing. Why? I think you can scheme up pass rush. I think there are plenty of different examples across the NFL of teams that have not had a dominant pass rusher, but have been able to generate pressure by scheming up those type of things. Run blocking, run stopping, ball carrying, 2%. They're at the bottom of my list. Running and stopping the run, I don't think is super duper important relative to the rest of the things. Obviously, it's better. I want I want to run effectively. I want to stop the run. But I'm do- not doing this in a vacuum. I'm doing it relative to something else. I have a limited amount of resources to give out. And one of the things that we don't talk about enough is that if you're facing a team that has a really good passing attack, Every play they run the ball is probably a little bit of a victory for you because they're doing the thing that you might not be that good at defending, but they're not as good at doing it. And they're not as dangerous when they're running Clyde Edwards-Alaire versus throwing with Patrick Mahomes. So it's low enough on the list that there are offenses that are being encouraged to do it by defenses. That's why they're so low. There are certain defensive game plans that revolve around letting you do that. We want you to do that. That's how unimportant it's become in today's NFL. We are begging you. We're baiting you as an offense into running the ball because every time you do, that's one less play that you're not throwing it. So that's why the run-focused areas ended up at the bottom of the list. Quarterback play ended up at the top but it's still, I had markedly more, triple the size of Spence's quarterback play. And I'm still at 30%, which is why wins aren't a quarterback stat. I just have to make sure I fit that in there. You know, anytime I have a chance to fit in wins aren't a quarterback stat, I got to do it. We did it. We did it. We went through my pie graph. We went through Spence's pie graph. I would encourage you to do your own. Hit me with them. 
Draw them up in Excel, Excel spreadsheet. Google pie graph and create your own. Hit me with it. It's a valuable exercise for introspection and self-reflection. I did not intend for that to rhyme. It just kind of happened that way. But before we close this up, Spence, do you have anything for me, man? Is there anything you want to talk about in regards to my graph? Well, I mean, you, you, you explained why your quarterback ranking was so much higher than mine. I'm just, I guess, looking at it, I guess in my mind, I've, I always felt like a balanced team was the most important part. And it, it almost seems like you have a completely different, um, you know, philosophy than that. So if you don't mind, can you just kind of expound a little bit on that again? Like just as far as like the quarterback and then on offense, it just seems like um, it almost feels like if you have a good quarterback, you just kind of like, all right, let him do his thing. No, I think it, it it's a matter of correlation. So if you look at the success in today's era of the NFL, it is frequently tied from a sustainable winning standpoint to having a good quarterback. If you look at the people who you would consider to be the top five to eight quarterbacks in the league, most of them are in the playoffs every single year. That's just kind of the way it works. Because like you said, I want to have a balanced team. I want to have good players at positions. But it's what's sustainable, what's repeatable. The reason why quarterbacks get paid as much as they get paid is because there are factors where if you have them, the remainder of your team doesn't need to be quite as good. If you have Trent Dilfer, you need to have one of the greatest defenses in the history of football to win the Super Bowl. That's the way it works. If you have Tom Brady, you just need to have a good defense, a good, just solid Good defense. Yeah, let's give them a good defense. And as you pointed out before, the years when quarterbacks haven't gotten a good defense, they haven't won. It's very rare for a quarterback to have an absolutely terrible defense and win a Super Bowl. That's very rare. But it's a chicken and the egg thing. You build around the thing that's constant and controllable. The thing that is constant and controllable is franchise quarterback play. It's been proven it carries over year over year more so than elite defense does. It's harder to sustain elite defense because there's more moving parts. Mm -hmm. Because there's so many moving parts to a defense, right? There's 11 starters on defense. And like you were mentioning earlier, you said, you know, on offensive line, left tackle and center are the most important positions What is what you were talking about. If yep. you lose your right guard on offense and you have a really, really good quarterback, it's probably not going to tank the entire offense. If you lose a star pass rusher who might end up getting paid uh, $25 million a year, but guards are getting paid $15 million a year now. So if you lose a star guard, you're probably okay. If you lose a star pass rusher, you might not be. It's harder to sustain it because what correlates more significantly is quarterback play. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't want other good things. You totally do. It's which came first, the chicken or the egg. Do you build the team and then try and plug a quarterback in? Or do you find a quarterback and try and build a team? Which comes first, the chicken or the egg? So for me, it's a matter of sustaining success year over year. And the way you do that is you find a quarterback and then you do your best to build as human, as best as humanly possible, a team around them that not only fits from an offensive standpoint, but also, as you've mentioned, provides a respectable enough defense. Drew Brees has gotten years where he's gotten good defenses and the Saints did really well. And then there were other years where the Saints were a tire fire on defense and they didn't because they didn't do a good job in that spot. But even in those years, they were still contending. 
They were still competing for playoff spots. They were still, they didn't bottom out. Franchise quarterback teams don't typically bottom out at, well, what used to be three and 13. Now it'll be three and 14. There's a reason for that. You can have teams with good defenses who are five and 11. Very rarely do you find team with excellent quarterback play who's five and 11. That's one of the reasons why they become such valuable trade back candidates in the NFL draft. Look at the Atlanta Falcons this year. The Atlanta Falcons found themselves in a very rare position where they were at the top of the 2021 NFL draft, but they had a good quarterback in Matt Ryan. Now, a bunch of people said, hey, you should take a quarterback here, even though you have Matt Ryan. And their argument was, you don't know when you're going to be in the top five again. Do you know why they don't know when they're going to be in the top five again? Because they have Matt Ryan. That's the reason why that future is so uncertain. It's because having a good quarterback like Matt Ryan and then picking in the top five is very rare. Everybody else in the top five needs a quarterback. There's a reason for that. It's because teams with good quarterback play don't pick in the top five. So that's the reason why I'm not willing to say wins are a quarterback stat, but I am willing to say that the quarterback is the single most important plurality, not majority, majority be 51% or more of the things that win and lose. I also, I think you've seen plenty of examples of good quarterbacks hiding less good coaches. I think we saw that a lot with Aaron Rodgers and Mike McCarthy. I think we saw what happened with Bill Belichick when Tom Brady left. Now, I'm not saying Bill Belichick's not a good coach. He's a great coach. He's a great coach. But you saw what happened when Tampa Bay transferred from Jameis Winston to Tom Brady. The rest of that roster was fairly close. Now, they had a really good draft class, right? But that was a fairly similar roster to in 2020, 2020 to the way it was in 2019. The only variable that they really changed that was really significant, aside from they had a really good draft class, was their quarterback. And they went from 7-9 to nine to winning the Super Bowl. And Bruce Arians was the same coach he always was. And Mike McCarthy, I think people are starting to realize in Dallas, it wasn't McCarthy, it was Aaron Rodgers. Good quarterbacks can make coaches look better if they're really good. I don't know why my voice just did that. It was a really weird thing my voice just did. <laughs> I, I've been talking too much today. I'm not used to talking this much. Spence, it's a problem. So that's my very long-winded answer as to why quarterbacks got such a big part. But I'm glad you gave me the opportunity because I do want a balanced team. I do want things. But this isn't an allocation of my own cap resources. This is a, which one do I think impacts winning more? And I think far and away, the largest plurality as far as what impacts winning of a franchise is the quarterback. And it's the reason why they ended up with 30%. So anything else you want to talk about before we get out of here? No, for sure. I think that you, you, you know, you made a very great point. um, And I agree with you. I just, I guess I agree with you in a more balanced way. Like I still felt like the quarterback was the most important, but I just feel like it's all closer. And I know I'm going to get yeah. dragged for this when this is released today or tomorrow. No, you're not going to get but, dragged because you're, um, you're being more reasonable than me. You have less outliers than I do. All your stuff is really compressed. It goes from 10 to 4% on the player stuff. Mine goes from 30 to two, <laughs> but you know what, Bruce, I, I feel like in, in just in all honesty, I feel like more people look at the way the teams are built like you do. I think everybody thinks, okay, you, and, and it's true. You have to get your franchise guy. You got to get a quarterback. So if you can't draft one, you sign one or whatever, but you got to get them. And I think people really do feel like, Hey, 
as long as Tom Brady was there, it didn't matter who they had. But I feel like we saw not this last season, but the season when he was in uh, New England for his last season there, he made the playoffs. But I feel like we saw a completely different New England team, even with Tom Brady. So I just but I agree. You know, I agree with you. This was this was fun, man. Thank you so much. This was fun. Oh, thanks for having me, man. I think thanks for coming on. Thanks for doing this whole thing. This is this is a valuable exercise, and I would highly encourage people to do it because it's it helps you become aware of your own self. And you're like, wow, do I? There was a gentleman who I was discussing this with in my Twitter mentions, and he goes, Bruce, I think I value run blocking more than culture. It was like a light bulb moment for this guy. He was like, I think I value. He had special teams at one percent. He was like, I, 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 I wanted to make it higher, but I didn't have anywhere else I wanted to take a point away. When you're pressed up against the wall and you have limited resources, that is when prioritization matters. That is when your decision-making really matters because if, if you have no cap on any resources, then it doesn't matter. And that's why this resource is so valuable. That's why this thought ex- experiment is so valuable. So if you are listening to this the day it comes out, which is... So as a July 22nd, you are in for a treat because tomorrow, Friday, July 23rd, you will be introduced to a project that I have been working on with my wife for over a year. And it is Bruce exclusive, the musical. That's right. I did it. Some of my favorite shows of all time, Scrubs, Psych, they have done musical episodes. And I've always kind of wanted to do it. So we did it. My wife and I recorded some songs. We got a script going. We recorded it. It's fun. It's going to be completely lame. I'm okay with that. (laughs) And I wanted to kind of send off the last show before training camp with something that's completely bonkers. It is absolutely Bills related. So that's important. And I hope that you enjoy it. I hope that you approach it with the right mindset. I hope you can laugh along with me because it's ludicrous and I hope we have a good time. So make sure you listen to this podcast. You listen to tomorrow's podcast. You hit me up on Twitter. If you want to make fun of me, I'm fine with that, quite frankly. But until next time or until, you know what? No, I'm going to stop this one. Here's what I'm going to say. If you come at me and you hurt my feelings with how horrible you make me feel, (laughs) about the musical. I'm just going to look at you dead in the eyes and I'm going to say, Mr. and Mrs. Twitter user, Mr. and Mrs. Instagram user, Mr. and Mrs. Emailer, Mr. and Mrs. I don't have any other social media so you can't find me. That's the way the cookie crumbles. I'm Bruce Nolan. Buffalo Rumblings.